Hey, my loves. So yesterday I recorded like an hour's worth of content to put here for you guys. And if you saw me on my live, you saw the whole conversation and it is still up on my live. For some reason, um, the app or the what I use to record my podcast um, did not save a portion of the beginning. Honestly, I don't even know which part was the start it should have started with me saying hey but can't find it so I'm still going to post what I do have I'm not a podcaster I just like talking out loud and sharing my thoughts so I hope that you can get in flow with it I think there's about 30 minutes missing but I have the rest of it so it's after this little announcement so so sorry about that I'm still going to post it but Um, I'll try to do better next time with making sure that all this goes a little more smoothly. So I hope you enjoy. Bye. Technical difficulty. But yeah, like I don't have the bandwidth to do all that because as I'm learning about the magic of the human body, the body will do so many things. There are so many functions that when they are running properly, it's a well-oiled machine. If you are doing the right thing all the time, the body will turn into this magnificent, harmonious vessel. It's just a vessel. You are not your body. And I thought about that one day too in thinking about self-acceptance. Like I asked my wife, like, if I died in a car accident, I can donate my heart to someone. So is my heart, my heart, does my heart know that it's mine? Like Lana's heart, does it know? And it's like, it's just a piece of the vessel. So I'm not this body. I'm supposed to be a good steward over this body, over this vessel, but it is not me. And I'm afraid that with so many quick fixes that we have available. We are investing too much into the vessel in the wrong ways. Like, I am not this body. Have I done the work on the thing that I actually am? I am a witness to so much of what this body experiences, to all of what this body experiences. I am not the body though. So I need to learn the body in a way that I can live in harmony with it, that I can stay in flow with it. What does this vessel need to thrive? What happened to the video? Uh Uh-huh. Hold on, y'all. Hold on. Yeah, so I'm getting some tea. I'm only a witness to what this body is experiencing. I am consciousness. I am not this physical body. This is a representation. This is a physical expression of something. But the consciousness that is in me needs so many other things. It requires a lot. So if I put, I cannot make the largest investment be altering the vessel because if I'm if I'm doing the work on the consciousness on a conscious level and elevating the consciousness I will be in harmony with the vessel I will be at peace with the vessel and I will know what the vessel needs to thrive and so my fear is that the conversation is not being had about do you know 
what your vessel needs to thrive? And are you giving your vessel what it needs to thrive? Because it needs things. <clears throat> and we know the things it needs. Clean water. Healthy food. Rest. Sunlight. It's not rocket science. And I'm afraid that we have made it so that we just cannot understand that the vessel is is easy. We get in the way because we're not operating from a conscious point of view. We are unconsciously doing things that are driven by our subconscious thoughts. We think that if we do these things to our body and we make these alterations, that that's going to change something about how we feel about ourselves. But if the consciousness is not being fed good food, and and by good food, I mean what we consume visually um, and audibly, like through music and through freaking um, TV and media, if we're not being conscious of those things, then we're not, it doesn't matter what you do to your body. It doesn't matter how good your doctor is. <clears throat> you haven't elevated your consciousness to a point where you're in harmony with your body to say, if I do these things, I'm going to be able to look like this. You get to decide what you want your vessel to present as, but there's so many things that the that a higher level of consciousness will allow you to see that are possible with the vessel. And that's the part that has made me like radically accept myself like and also my health anxiety just won't let me like I'm too afraid to like I don't want to be cut open unless it's to save my life like please cut me open give me all the drugs if you are saving my life but <sighs> spiritual surgery is what most of us need <laughs> we just need to cut the soul open and do the digging and do the discarding of the things that don't feed us the proper things, the proper foods. And so that's the crazy part. Like I, I, it's so much of the same. Everyone's pinnacle has become the same. Like we all are, <clears throat> we all look the same. We all talk the same. We all, I know this clock ain't right. Yeah, it's not. Everything has become the same, but nobody's doing the conscious work on a conscious level. Because I do believe when you are really, really thinking in a higher consciousness, surgery won't cross your mind. And your body will reflect what your consciousness has in it. Like, we're just so much more than our bodies. And that's been a big, huge lesson for me in this radical self-acceptance. It's like, yeah, I have a little pudge. Yeah, I'm a little chunky in the middle. Don't have the biggest butt. Like, it's cool. I'm curvy. But, like, you know, in comparison to, like, what is the, the hot thing right now, I'm not that. But, oh, my soul is good. Like, how beautiful I feel internally. <clears throat> the depths of my mind and the complexities of my thinking and the my critical thinking and the expansiveness of my thoughts and all those things for me are they hit like that's where it's at for me and like even if I'm not you know the most this that and the third in a space I know when I open my mouth that that changes my light shines through that and so i'm just now catching up to my physical body because i've spent so much time in my head and in my heart and doing investigative work in those areas that i just be like it's okay if i don't have this aesthetic or you know this that and the third it's like completely fine because i get to be beautiful in my soul and in my spirit and in my mind and my heart is light and I love people. I genuinely, genuinely love people. And I tell people that I love them. If you've ever 
come got a wax or if you're a friend of mine like i genuinely love you and it, it is not i think that is so weird we live in a, in a society that's like that shuns that kind of affection i'm very affectionate that's that's a beautiful thing to show affection i like to hug i like to touch people's arms like i'm affectionate and i i'm a lover and for me that's what makes me beautiful is my love it is it's big and my compassion and my empathy for people those are the things where i'm like yeah i'm a bad bitch you know like if i if i use that term for myself like that's when i'll be like yeah no nah. and that has shaped how i see myself physically but one day i looked up and was like oh i have a body <laughs> like i have a i have a vessel that the world sees i don't know why the camera keep going out oh i have a vessel that the world sees like i show up and it's not just like this invisible, I'm not a ghost. So I show up and I have a face and I have a body. But I just, you know, I don't too much get into that. And in accepting myself, is like, I don't have to. It's like, you think about like Kevin Samuels. Kevin Samuels really stirred something up, you know? And he stirred something up in me because I was like, well, I'm like, well, damn, I don't even think of myself in the ways that he talks about. Like, so, like, what does that mean? If you're on a scale of one to 10, what are you? And you can't choose seven. I felt like that was, but I don't know. Like, I thought about, like, I genuinely don't know because I never once, I don't know. I'm not in that competition. I'm not in that race. I don't know why it keeps ending my video. Hold on, y'all. Another little technical difficulty. Okay, y'all. The problem was the Wi-Fi. That's why it kept cutting off. So, yeah, I don't know what the hell I am. I don't know if I'm a 10 or an adjustable 6. I know that as a woman, I get to show up and be a 3 if I want. I could put on something raggedy and be a 3. Or I could wear the uniform. All of this shit is costumes. All of it is about how are you going to dress up your vessel to fit into what space you want to fit into. And so Kevin Samuels really made me do some digging, like invest self self discovery. Like, oh, well, that's a valid question. But I thought about it like, I don't know, because I ain't none of that shit. Like, I don't care. And in my self-acceptance, my radical self-acceptance, that that self-inquiry was very helpful because we should all be wondering why we care or if i have to number myself if i have to do all of these things to be in this space and there's no output from my input so like yes dress for the job you want so if you want to go and network with you know, Fortune 500 CEOs and VIPs and stuff. Yes, you should accommodate the space aesthetically. But that's, those situations are like very specific. You know, like, oh, I'm going to a job interview. I can't go in here. I mean, you do what you want. But if you want the job, you're probably going to have to wear the, the, the outfit for the job. So aside from places where there's, outcome there's output from the input what what is it all for because i am a i'm just this vessel it's flawed and i have to do certain things to get certain things from it so like if i know that i haven't been doing the spiritual work and the emotional work and the mental work what am i really what am i going to just do this superficial part for if I haven't done the really intense under the skin stuff, you know? So that's part of. Oh, that's so good. Mm. It tastes like warm lemonade. I don't know if you saw it in the last one. 
but this is really, really good. I love citrus, so I love grapefruit, lemon, oranges, limes. Um, there's a fruit in Jamaica. I think it's June plum. I think June plum is citrus, but correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, so radical self-acceptance has made me really view the plastic surgery mo movement in a much different light. Um, I was never necessarily terribly interested in it in any way. My mom passed away from complications, really, from plastic surgery. I believe she had a pulmonary embolism at 47 years old um, from something post-op. And so I've never been terribly interested in it anyway. That's not my thing. It was not worth it. I would much rather have my mother. Um, so that's that. And that takes me to my next part about radical self-acceptance with drug and alcohol use. Because my father passed away. So my mom died in 2012 at 47 years old. Complications, post-op, plastic surgery. My father died in 2017. He was 66 and he died of a heroin fentanyl overdose. My father had been heroin on heroin my whole life, on drugs my whole life. And at that point, you know, it's, it's like medicine. The body, their body needs it to continue on. And so my mother also struggled with drug abuse um, a lot of my life. I was there for a lot of that. And I just, I've seen a lot about how drugs, hard drugs negatively impact people. So even with my marijuana use, um, you know, I try to like check it because I believe in genetic predisposition and if my parents were addicts and other people further back in my family were addicts, I don't believe that I'm immune from that becoming a part of my story. Um, something I learned going to NA and AA meetings with my mom, particularly AA, I remember this statement. They would always say two things. You never know what drink will be the one that triggers the addiction. And so I think about that when I, like, I really do think about that. Um, I haven't had a drink since the end of September or maybe the beginning of October. Whenever I started with that sinus infection and had to take um, antibiotics, I haven't drank. And so, and I, I'm off the antibiotics, I'm over the sinus infection. And I still haven't had a drink. And part of it is because I have desired sobriety on a very deep level for some time, for at least 10 years. Because I can remember having these, these bouts of sobriety, just like pure sobriety over time. When I lived in Atlanta, I did it. Um, and then when I got here, I've done it several times. Longest being right after COVID for a year and a half. But Radical self-acceptance is saying that, yes, I desire sobriety and I am able to be sober. And people don't think about gray area addiction because, again, the culture normalizes so many things that are shouldn't be normalized. Gray area addiction is very real. If you can't come home from work without having a drink every day, that's gray area addiction. If your day at any point requires something. There's an addiction there. You should reevaluate what you're addicted to. Now, we can say if your day can't function without you going to the gym, that's something you can let go of. But safe to say, that's a healthy addiction. That's a healthy thing to be addicted to. But a lot of people after work, they where they go? Straight to happy hour. And again, this is not judgment because I am actively working through being alive. And so I am allowing myself to, to evaluate everything. Everything is up for evaluation. What are my habits when it surrounds alcohol? What are my habits when it surrounds weed? Now, I microdose mushrooms. And after I had my first trip, I was, my life was changed. Like, it was one of the most 
beautiful experiences that I've ever had. And so, but what it, (laughs) in that trip, there was so many realizations. Um, One of them being about meat and drugs and alcohol. (laughs) That is what shrooms, that's what happened on my trip. And so I don't consider myself an addict of any sort. I do recognize though when I drink, sometimes I binge drink. When I do drink, I drink way too much in one like one night. Um and when I smoke weed, sometimes it just gets ahead of me. Like it becomes a part of my day. I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna go outside and take a little smoke break. I'm gonna go home and take a little smoke break. Before I eat, I'm gonna take a smoke break. And if I'm being just really honest with myself, <clears throat> for me, for Lana, that's that's not how I want to live. Like my desire to be clear-minded is is very strong. I desire to have um a strong, clear mind. I desire to have um like mental acuity, like to be sharp. That is a desire of mine. And when I think about the ways I feel when I indulge in alcohol and, and weed, I'm like, it's fun. It's fun. And it's like, can I have those same feelings of like having my guards down more or feeling more relaxed? The mind is very powerful and the body follows the mind. And I can do those things without those things. Um, And I've been really, really the past, since I got off the antibiotics, like two weeks ago now, I think it's been, I've really been mindful about how I feel when I say no to alcohol. Do I feel like I'm cheating myself? Do I keep trying to slide it in? Like, oh, I'm gonna just have a little, one little glass of this ain't gonna kill me. And it's like, I do. I do. I'd be like, oh, I'm going here. I should have a drink. And it's like, but that's not what I want. It's I don't want it. I want to be sober. I want to allow my body systems to work cohesively. I want my neck bone to be connected to my shoulder bone. And you know, like the song says, like your knee bones connect to you. Whatever it say, whatever, whatever that song say. I want my body to be a well-oiled machine. And the things I know about alcohol, it is an absolute toxin in the body. It is absolutely poison in the body. So the things I know about alcohol, what is the disconnect between what I absolutely know to be true without my feelings about it? What is the thing that makes me disconnect from what I know? Like what is so powerful that it takes away what I know? And makes me do something that goes against my best interest. I think we have to investigate that. Alcohol is an absolute toxin and poison in the body. I'll keep saying it. But we do it anyway. Myself included. Now for the past month and while I was on them antibiotics and even now, I haven't done it. But I've wanted to. During the antibiotics, not so much because I'd be following the rules. But like now that I'm off of them. I've been out several places and like several of the places had like open bar, (laughs) like go get a drink. And I've wanted to have alcohol. But when I investigate closer, why? Why, if you know what you know about your body, your own physical makeup, and if you know what you know about alcohol and how it reacts in everybody's body, it does the same thing to all of us. How our body responds is our personal makeup, but it does the same thing to all of us. If I know all that, what is driving me to still want to walk up to that bar and get a drink? When I know good and damn well that I just turned 39, I'm not getting any younger, I have high cholesterol, I know that I've had high cholesterol for 20-something years. No, for since I was 23 or something like that. What could possibly be driving me to make a decision otherwise? I have to investigate that thought. And I have to really ask myself, why am I doing this? 
I wouldn't walk outside and see traffic coming and walk into it because I would be like, I can hurt myself or die. But because we only think in the immediate, we only think about right now, we don't have long-term vision currently in this society. We don't think about 10 years from now what this decision is going to be. I have decided to live for myself 10 years from now in 10-year increments. In longer, but 10 years. If I'm 39 now, how do I want my life to be at 49? What is 49-year-old Lana's life like? How does she feel? How does she sleep? What does she eat? What does she drink? What is her exercise regimen? What is her spiritual routine? I am thinking about all those things now because everything I do now is a habit that I've had since I was 29 that I've had a hard time breaking and they just become worse. Like it doesn't get easier. So why am I still making these choices as if I have the luxury of time? I've had the luxury of time, but I have no guarantee of that luxury going forward. And like we think in extremes, myself included, I think about death. Like I could die tomorrow, but there's so many other things that can alter your life in a way that completely changes the course of it. So, you know, we think like, oh, I'm going to eat what I want because I could die tomorrow. But my mind is like, there's more nuance. I can't eat what I want because if I want my body to have a fighting chance, if it comes up against an invader, like a virus or, oh, that's the, that's something. Like a virus or, you know, a sickness of some sort. I need my body to work for me. I need my cells to be nourished and hydrated. I need everything to be working cohesively like a well-oiled machine. So that if I come up against something that my body needs to work for or work against, it will work. We don't think, I don't know that we think about that. Like, yes, we could die, but like death is the final thing. Like that's not even, we gonna die. It's either gonna be now or later. We don't know when. So what about the other stuff? And if I'm consuming alcohol on any level, I can't trust that my body is doing the right things because I have so many other aspects of my body that I need to maintain. Like, I don't know what drink will be the one that triggers an addiction because I'm genetically predisposed to addiction. And I know it. Why am I playing with fire? Radical self-acceptance is saying I am genetically predisposed to alcohol and drug addiction. It is genetic. My family, my mother and father, the two people who brought me here, they were addicts. Hardcore. Addiction killed my father. Just in t- just five years ago. And in some odd way, addiction killed my mother. My mother was in, she was uh, sober. She was clean and sober. So when she had this surgery, this plastic surgery, she couldn't take whatever the narcotics were for pain. This is my understanding of what happened. Her fiance at the time, he was a nurse and whatever these tubes are she had, they were causing her pain. And my mother being a bit stubborn sometimes or strong headed, um, had him take the tubes out and somehow this caused a blood clot to travel to her lung. Excuse me. In my mind, that's what makes me think about living for living for later because I'm sure in the mind of an addict, once you get clean, you've, you've conquered that. I mean, you're an addict always. That's what they tell you in, in AA meetings. Like once an addict, always an addict. And you're always fighting the addiction. But you think that the worst of it is over. As long as you're staying on top of like your meetings and, you know, talking to your sponsor and you're doing this other work. But in my mind, I think about it's like everywhere you go, there you are. And because my mother couldn't take the, the narcotics for pain, that addiction still showed up and to her detriment, you know, clean and sober. And in the pursuit of remaining clean and sober, I can't help but think that way. 
you know, so it's a heavy, heavy thing because so many people, we have built a society around alcohol. We have built a society around casual consumption of these drugs. And we, we do it from a place of privilege because a lot of us are privileged not to be addicted to drugs and alcohol. But the more I think about I'm a child of addicts. I grew up in AA and NA meetings. I am a child of addicts. I think about these things because I think about my parents and I think about their struggles and how my father just couldn't fucking be a dad because he was sick, you know? And, And even showing your parents grace for their addictions, you have to still minimize your own needs because you have to make space for their sickness. It's just a lot. And so when I think of the stress that puts on a family, not just the kids, like the loved ones, the family that has to deal with addiction, people who are addicts in their family, it's it's stressful. And A lot of the people that we love that are addicts didn't walk into their lives saying, I'm going to be an addict today. Like you don't know what the drink is that will be the first drink that sets off your addiction. You don't know when the first time that you're going to get high off weed and it's not strong enough. Like when they used to tell us like weed is a gateway drug and we laughed at it like that shit is real. It's called like your tolerance getting too high and you need something else. And so now we understand like taking a tolerance break. And like, I think people aren't like running to the crack pipe because I mean, that's not what's happening. We have more education surrounding cannabis and like, it's amazing what we have available. But like the truth of the matter is some of the shit we learned earlier is not false. Like weed is a gate. It can be a gateway drug to an addict, but because we didn't have a lot of sympathy and compassion for addicts we just assume like oh he's a piehead or a crackhead or this or that we don't make space for those we didn't make space for those conversations like now we have so much more understanding and i think that's helpful but like it's just it's a slippery slope and so in my radical self-acceptance i'm accepting that that is a slippery slope and i have to be mindful because i don't wish to be an addict i don't you you can't turn it off. The mind of an addict cannot turn off the addiction. You don't wake up and become an addict because you are doing it intentionally. There is something that happens in the brain that just doesn't shut off. And when I was going through my mental breakdown during COVID, I there was just some thoughts I couldn't control. There were some things in my mind I couldn't control. And I don't wish that on anybody. It was three months of like pure hell. I felt I felt horrible mentally. I was really, really fucking struggling through a lot of COVID mentally. And one of my exes um, committed suicide in 2019, right before the pandemic. And we were together for like almost five years in my 20s and we struggled through a lot of her mental illness unmedicated and undiagnosed and i later found out through talking to her when i asked her what her medications were she was dealing with some like she was dealing with like schizophrenia like manic depression like a lot of things a lot at once and if what I experienced in that three months during COVID is a, is like an inkling of what she was going through, <sighs> listen, the mind is fragile. And I think that particularly Black folks, we have been conditioned to believe that strength is our superpower. And that we can get through anything and that we are strong, tough, and resilient. But I think a lot of us deal with mental health issues because we just don't know that that's how fragile the mind is. 
that you that it doesn't take much to lose your mind. It don't take much to lose your mind. A traumatic event, a bad batch of drugs, too much alcohol. Like it does not take much to lose your mind. And in my radical self-acceptance, it's like, am I willing to keep playing around with this delicate thing inside of my head? It's delicate. This consciousness, this this mind of mine, not my brain. But when you think about it, alcohol actually has a negative impact on the brain. So does marijuana. I didn't. I'm not saying it because it's my opinion. I'm saying that there is science that says these things, and of course, it's the abuse of a thing that usually results in those things. But alcohol actually impacts your body immediately. Like it's no. There's no, there's absolutely a long-term effect, but like alcohol is in there and it's doing the damage. So radical self-acceptance for me around health and wellness is sobriety. And it's not been easy. It's not like people be like, oh no, I just stopped when I, you know, like that ain't been easy for me because I can have addictive behaviors. And so I have to be mindful of the things that I allow myself to indulge in repeatedly. It's, it's that easy. And I just recognize it. And I think that that's hard to say out loud because we also live in a society that doesn't recognize nuance. Like, so somebody might hear this and be like, oh, Lana says she's an addict or Lana's an alcoholic. And it's like, no, Lana's not an alcoholic. But Lana recognizes how easy it can be for Lana to become an alcoholic. And so I want to consider myself at every step of the, ro- of the road that I'm on. Every step of this path has to be thought out. Some of us do not have the luxury of, of being lackadaisical about certain things. I know that at the core of my being, I have to have discipline, order, and structure for my life to be carefree. I can't just have a carefree life. I have to be structured, disciplined, and orderly. And then I can have fun. Because if I'm not careful, the wrong things will happen to me. (laughs) That's just how that goes. And that's just an honest self-realization. I have tried it other ways. I have tried to just be carefree, footloose and fancy free. And it's fun for a second. But without order, structure and discipline at the core of my being, I can't speak for everybody else. Without having those things, life ain't no fun because it gets out of control and it gets away from me. And I have parents where I see that that has been the case. I have data in my life that has shown me that that's the case. If we are not careful, the mind is fragile. The mind is fragile. And so my my radical self-acceptance is saying, no, I don't have the luxury of just having this drink tonight because it's a celebration. Because one, knowing things kind of sucks the fun out of things. So now that I understand what alcohol does as soon as it enters the body and gets into your bloodstream and gets into your stomach. Like it's, now that I know those processes, it's very hard to put a drink to my lips because you are knowingly causing harm. And that is like, that's not self, that's the opposite of self preservation. It's wild out here though, because I think. And understanding that black folks haven't had a lot of grace. And so now we are in a state of like an abundance of grace for everything. And I've talked about this before. Hold on, y'all. I got to. Okay, so I'm back. Um, In our pursuit of grace for ourselves as black people. It has made me want to just operate more from proactive grace than reactive grace. Because I think reactive grace is damaging. So to show ourselves grace out of a response to not having it, which means we're like, oh, I'm going to eat this because 
I'm living my best life. I'm going to drink this because I deserve it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you deserve pleasure. But your pleasure cannot be based on your desire for grace. Like, I'm not going to eat a, I'm not going to go eat a bacon sandwich. Now, I love bacon. I had some bacon the other day. Because I like to be accountable. I like to say the things that I'm doing. I'm growing up in real time. I had some bacon the other day. But the more and more that I have the bacon, I'm always like, this ain't what you're supposed to be doing. When you know better, you are literally supposed to do better. And that is currently where I am. I am in the transitional phase of knowing better and actually doing better. And there's an integration process happening on a lot of levels. And the rest of those levels I will talk about in another conversation. But right now with wellness, there is an integration process of my habits happening where I know better. If you knew some of the things that I know to know better and you've seen some of the things I do, you'd be like, like, come on. So... I'm in the process of doing better because I've known better for a very long time. But I would like to operate in a space of proactive grace. When I want the bacon, I would like to give myself permission to want the bacon, to like be gentle with myself for wanting it. Of course, I want the bacon. It's good. I know what it tastes like. I like it on a sandwich, on a croissant sandwich with tomato and lettuce. Like I like bacon. But it kind of falls into the category of alcohol. What is happening when this bacon enters my body? What are my cells doing with the bacon? What is my is it bioavailable in a way that is beneficial to my overall well-being? It is not. It is high in sodium. It is high in saturated fat. And it is not good for me at all. I'm not going to eat it. I had some the other day, two pieces to be exact. It was delicious. The bacon was delicious. That's my ASM. That's my. The bacon was delicious. Bacon tastes really, really good. I really like bacon. <laughs> but the bacon is not being good to me. Like, it's, it's true. And if I keep giving myself grace on the back end, like, oh, well, I had some bacon today, but I deserved it. And I'll just start again. Like, No, give myself grace for desiring the wrong thing. I'm human. I'm going to want to do things sometimes that aren't the best for me, that don't benefit me. I'm human. That's grace on on the front end. Because if I can show myself grace for being human and wanting those things, that means I can make good decisions. I can say, you know what? That makes sense. You want bacon. It tastes very delicious. It really goes delicious on a nice croissant (laughs) with lettuce and tomato and cheese. But there's alternatives and you can rewire your brain to desire the right things. And the way you do that is by making these decisions on the outset right now. I'm not going to eat that bacon. I'm not going to have that drink. I'm not going to pick up that blunt. I'm not going to do these things. Because I know how I want to feel 10 years from now. And this temporary moment of pleasure, that ain't it. That's, that's, that's not pleasure. That's, that's a chemical response to something you want in the moment. And it feels like pleasure. But I'm more interested in like deep pleasure on a cellular level. I'm interested in waking up in the morning and springing out of bed. I'm interested in the whites of my eyes being white and my gums and tongue being pink, my nail beds being healthy, my skin glowing. I'm interested. That's pleasure for me. So I know at the core of my being, I have to do the right things to get that kind of pleasure. That's longevity. That's vitality. Those are the things that bring me pleasure. So my radical self-acceptance is like being okay with being a little militant when it comes to my wellness and being able to ignore the general consensus around grace and showing yourself grace because that's not grace to me. 
Grace is saying, yeah, man, I'm really craving. I love pie, right? I'm not a sugary person. I don't like sweets too much. But pie, oh my God, I fucking love pie. I love apple pie. I love cherry pie. I love, ooh, if it's a mixed berry pie, oh my God. Like I love pie. I love everything about pie. But pie don't love me. Like, we got to start thinking about all the stuff we love and ask, do it love us back? Like, yeah, you love cheeseburgers, but like, do it love you back? Like, these things aren't loving us back. Most of this shit can't love us back because it's man-made. When you, pecan pie, I love pecan pie. You hear me? Pie. I love pie. I mostly love fruit pies, but pecan pie gets an honorable mention. It is delicious. And one time when I lived in Atlanta, and if you're listening to this, somebody in the live um, asked me, did I like pecan pie? <laughs> when I lived in Atlanta, um, I got, I became friends with this girl named Mello, still a friend of mine to this day. And I was in Atlanta by myself, really. Like, I ain't really had nobody. And her family, gluten does not love you. It does not. And you know that. Wait, so the pecan pie story. This is the first time I had chocolate pecan pie. They invited me over to their house for a holiday. I think it was Easter. And one of her uncles, old Southern black man, made this chocolate pecan pie. And I just died and went to heaven. Like, I... Ugh. Gluten does not love you. That's what I'm saying. Like, we have all these things that we love. Like, it's delicious, but it's also made that way. It don't love you back because man had a hand in it. That is why introducing ourselves to the frequency of God, God behavior, God's creation, that is where we find pleasure. That is when something loves you back. I love this salad, and this salad loves me back. I love this apple, and this apple loves me back. Like, I love this water, this clean water, and this water loves me back. That's the conversation we have to start having around the things that we love so much that we proclaim to love. We don't love it. It creates a chemical response. I tripped one day and looked at my skin and saw the damage it was doing. Listen, it's, listen, and I know what you, listen, I know exactly what you're talking about because they'll tell you. It is a choice. Absolutely. That's the thing. And that's where my thing comes in with radical self-acceptance. It's like, I'm making choices to harm myself. But because culturally we've accepted these things as not being self-harm, we don't we don't investigate it like that. You know, we we say, oh, I'm just having some drinks. I'm just I'm just going out and we're going to eat this, this and this It's like, no, even with meat, like you can eat meat. But like, was the animal treated with love, respect and care? Was it humanely slaughtered? Who are the people that raise the animal? There, you can go to farms. We live, we live in D.C., but like Maryland and Virginia, you can go to a farm. And Dupont Circle actually has a farmers market every Sunday, all year round. They have a farmers market, whether it's cold or rainy or what. There's farmers there with fresh meat, and you get to talk to the people who are raising the animals that you're consuming. It's so important. It is not a trivial thing. It is not something to just dismiss like, no, like I need love back. We, we, we put so much like pressure on people to love us back. We want the people we love to love us back. We want these situations to love us back. Like, cool, whatever. But man is going to let you down every time. Humans going to disappoint you. That's what we do. It's not. It's not a judgmental statement. Like we are figuring out there's now 8 billion of us on the earth at the same time, figuring out right now how to be alive all at the same time. So then we encounter each other while we all trying to figure out how to be alive. And some of us to different degrees of consciousness of that being the process that we're in, but it's what's happening. And we get disappointed as somebody else disappointing us because they just trying to figure out how to be alive and they ain't figured out how to do that in your particular space at the moment. And, and maybe you not in theirs either, but man will disappoint you and that's okay. Expect it. And that's okay. Like people get to be human, but what won't let you down 
is you creating the world around you to reflect your level of love for yourself. God loves you back. Whatever you believe God to be, God loves you back. And you can see that when you are operating in a God-like state in Christ consciousness, when you are operating at a higher level of thinking and consciousness and not just moving around in your vessel unconscious. Like, it's okay to not know the answer to everything, but there are certain things you can do to assure that you feel that love. For me, it's not an alcohol. I don't feel good drunk. It feels like it feels the things that we're told good is supposed to feel. But when I think about what feels good for me, it don't be that. When I think about when I'm high, high be feeling good. But when I think about what I've been able to accomplish sober, that be good to me. That's what good feel like. The And I can always gauge a thing based on how I feel after I do it. So when I drink the alcohol, okay, yeah, I be feeling like, woo, you know, like wiggly and shit. But like the next day, mm-mm. and the older you get, the next day get rougher, even with less consumption. Like for real, two glasses of wine, people be like, oh, I just had two glasses. Two glasses will wear me out, take me out. And I think that's the wisdom of the body. We're getting older. The body's like, no, baby, you can't do this no more. You can't do this. Yeah. And when you learn about what the body does when it consumes some of these things, those are very real things. Depression and anxiety from alcohol. I have woken up the next day sometimes, even after a night of like light drinking, feeling like crazy and not being able to get right for days. That's not normal. And we keep normalizing it. We keep normalizing the abnormal. It's not normal. It's crazy. So that is part of how I've been able to govern after getting off the antibiotics. Is like, how do these... Because it is throwing you... It is messing up your body. It is not good for you. I'm telling you, like... Irritated, irrational, and sad as fuck after drinking. Yes. Yes. But it was all fun when we was out being wiggly. And like, we get so attached to the feeling of what it felt like while we was in it. And we start ignoring the next day. That is That has been a great way that I have been able to temper my behavior. How will I feel after I indulge in whatever this is? How am I going to feel? And I start with, how is my body going to feel? Like, how am I going to feel? I'm not going to feel good. My body's going to be lethargic and sluggish. And I'm going to feel, then it's like the mental stuff. And especially with alcohol, it's the mental stuff. Alcohol is a toxin and a poison to the body. I will keep saying that. And I'm telling myself that too, because sobriety for me at 39 is far more important than the temporary dopamine release that you get when you indulge in something like that. In radical self-acceptance, I have also decided that I am very much over being entertained. I want to be educated. I want to be enlightened. I want to be lifted up sick bloated headache i legit have my listen i get migraines from my cycle like if my hormones are doing something wiggly i get a migraine i just got over a migraine a four four day migraine and it's no fun is is what we call a night out the reward of alcohol like when we go out and we're drinking what is it for? Like, what are we doing? If we like really ask ourselves, like, what is happening? Like, what are we doing? We are consuming a toxin and a poison to the body. <laughs> Literally. It wants out. The body, when it consumes alcohol, it's like, get this out. Get it out of me. It's poison. I'm going to look this up right now while I'm here. What happens? After I drink alcohol, 
there's a process. So what happens in the body? We about to find this out because I looked it up and I know it, but I can't um, regurgitate the information the way it is. What happens in the body right after drinking alcohol? Okay. When you drink alcohol, you don't digest alcohol. It passes quickly into your bloodstreams, bloodstream and passes and travels to every part of your body. Alcohol affects your brain first, then your kidneys, lungs, and liver. We don't even realize it's like it affects our lungs. The effect on your body depends on your age, gender, weight, and the type of alcohol. So out the gate, women, when we drink alcohol, we're going to be drunker off of less alcohol because we have more body fat. We're women. So when you learn what it turns into is the part. Hold on. Okay. Here's the real science. I literally just what was the purpose. There is no purpose. Like it literally is a toxin and a poison to the body. That's what alcohol is. Here's the real science on what happens when you drink too much. So it doesn't matter the type of alcohol you drink or even whether you mix drinks. The effects are basically the same with the same amount of amount of alcohol when you drink alcohol it goes into the stomach and passes into the small intestine where it is quickly absorbed into the bloodstream okay um if you have eaten something it slows the absorption of alcohol so you don't get drunk so quickly that's why it's a good idea to eat so what happens is it irritates the the stomach lining It also causes an imbalance of electrolytes and it can cause your blood vessels to dilate, causing a headache. That's where you get the hangover from. So if you do have a hangover, you should drink some caffeine. It also interferes with glucose production, resulting in low blood sugar. That's why you feel sluggish and weak. It disrupts sleep. And usually when you are too drunk and you get drunk and you pass out, you are blacked out. You are not asleep. That is why you wake up feeling like shit the next day because it does not um, it does not make you sleep better. <laughs> you are passing out. That's not, it's not what you think. Um, but it turns into something. Chemical breakdown of alcohol. This is important to know in the body this is important to know good for you good for you that's amazing and i salute you and i hope that you continue to keep going it's so important you know i stopped drinking for covid i had i ended up with covid and i ended up with a severe digestive issue so i couldn't drink alcohol um and i kept going for about a year and a half and i picked it back up but i don't you know, and, and once I post all these, you'll be able to maybe go back and listen. And it's also going to be on my podcast so that if you want to like hear the, the story about it, like, um, sobriety has been something I've wanted for about 10 years. And so I've kind of gone back and forth with it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's, it's literally one day at a time because it's easy to want to, have drinks with your friends or, you know, like you going out dancing, listening to music. And as much as I like to go dancing a good, you know, I, I know what it feels like to have had a couple of drinks and be on the dance floor really like, you know, but I, it's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth the overall thing. Um, so yeah, alcohol just turns into a bunch of wild shit when it gets in the body. I definitely would recommend there's this, um, National Library of Medicine paper. Yeah, it's interesting because you start really like being able to be like, oh man, is this like everybody's pretty loud? Everybody's, <laughs> you do. You absolutely look at life differently. And it doesn't take long to start feeling those differences once you've chosen sobriety. Like it doesn't take long to start feeling different, looking different. 
viewing life differently and it changes your habits. It really is. Oh, here's what I was looking for. It's, it's definitely some medical talk. So how is alcohol eliminated from the body? Get out your pens and papers. If you want. Once ethanol is in the circulation, which is what alcohol turns into when it gets in your body. Yep, that's that's absolutely right. Um, it reaches all the tissues in the body, including the brain, where it causes intoxication. Our bodies are designed to terminate the action of drugs, including alcohol, so that the intoxication doesn't persist when a person stops drinking. So ethanol moves from the GI tract to the liver. When a person consumes alcohol, the first place that the alcohol goes after it leaves the GI tract is the liver. Once it enters the capillaries surrounding the stomach and small intestines, the capillaries lead to the portal of the vein, which enters the liver and branches out once again into the capillaries. Ethanol diffuses from the capillaries into the nearby hepatic cells, which are the cells of the liver. Anytime you see something that says HEPA, it's, it's usually having to do with the liver. Um, in the hepatic cells, some of the ethanol, ethanol is converted or detoxified by enzymes to inactive products. This process is called metabolisms, and the metabolism and the products are called metabolites. And so it's metabolized in two stages. First is by turning off the drug. And then the metabolites have less biological activity relative to the parent compound, although there are some exceptions to this rules, as we will see with ethanol. Second, metabolism helps convert the drug into a more polar or water-soluble form, so it can be carried in the bloodstream to the kidneys, where it is excreted in the urine, which is also water-based. During metabolism, the enzymes are catalysts. They help speed up the reactions. However, the metabolism speed is different for different people based on their genetics. So that's why sometimes when you get too drunk, you'd be like, why am I so drunk? I only had like one or two drinks. Your metabolism has a lot to do with it. So we be out here really binge drinking with each other. And meanwhile, your friend over here, her metabolism is, is moving. It's moving the things out. But me, on the other hand, I actually have a hard time metabolizing alcohol. I know that about my body. Um, I've done, I'm really into like biohacking. So I've done um, where you upload your raw DNA data and it's kind of like learning about your epigenetics. It's, it's interesting, but I have an alcohol sensitivity. Actually, I shouldn't be drinking anyway. Um, so out, so stage one and I'm into this stuff, so feel free if this ain't your jam. But um, ethanol to acetaldehyde. I'm saying that wrong, but it's okay. Although some alcohol is metabolized in the stomach, the primary site of, the, of metabolism is in the liver. The cytoplasm of liver cells contain an enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase, or ADH. The, that cat... ADH that catalyzes in the oxidation of ethanol to acetaldehyde. that word. The oxidation occurs when ethanol binds to a site on the ADH enzyme and loses some electrons in the form of H atoms. Now, granted, I'm reading all of this. I'm going to go back and like read it again. This is how I be learning because that's how you learn. But I like to read this stuff because I get a general idea of what's happening. And what I do know is that while I can't understand every single thing and I can't pronounce every single word, context lets me know I don't want all this happening in my body. It's too complicated. Like, I don't want ethanol in my body because that's what alcohol metabolizes into is ethanol. Um, and it has all these turns into, so then the acetaldehyde, acetaldehyde I'm going to ask somebody how to say that. I know too many people with high science degrees to not know how to say it. And it turns into acetic acid. Um, the body has a natural way to get rid of the acetaldehyde. Remember, this is toxic to the body. Alcohol is a toxic, is a toxin and poison in the body. Um, there's a second liver enzyme present in the mitochondria, which is your cells called 
ALDH. ALDH metabolizes the that word to acetic acid, which is inactive. So the body is doing so many things to like keep your ass going. It is this is a process. I'm reading a medical document off of Duke University, <laughs> the Duke website, Duke ED, Duke, uh, Duke.edu. Overwhelming the alcohol metabolizing enzyme. Like it's just why? Why do we do it? Why do we keep doing it? We know better. We absolutely know better. So I have reached the end of this. Um, I microdosed some shrooms today. And I feel very clear-minded, clear-headed. And one would say, okay, what's up with the shrooms? And it's like, I don't, I only had one trip on shrooms. I don't wish to um, abuse the plant. It was too much of a beautiful experience to abuse it. Um, it was just, it changed my life. And even when I microdose, I'm very mindful. I don't microdose every single day. Um, but when you understand plant medicine, you understand that there are things that are medicine and there's the potential for abuse for all of it. Um, I have too much respect for the plant and what it has given me to abuse it. I don't, and again, the awareness that I'm predisposed to addiction, it keeps me in check. It keeps me in line. So those are some of the ways that I've been practicing radical self-acceptance and why and how I've arrived there. So um, I'm going to upload this episode to my um, platforms. I do hope you go back and listen. There were some great topics. I'm going to start doing the lives in conjunction with the with the um, podcast so that if there's questions or comments, like we can interact and talk about stuff. Um, but this was my podcast topic of radical self-acceptance and the reason why 2022 has been about radical self-acceptance, just some realizations. I think maybe I probably got, went on tangents a little bit here and there, but I'm going to leave these videos up. Feel free to listen again. We learned a little bit about alcohol consumption and what it does in the body, but, um, yeah, I'm grateful for y'all listening. Um, this was good. I have clients. I have a client at 2.30, so I need to go and grab a bite to eat. And then, you know, enjoy the rest of my day. Is everybody feeling good? I hope everybody's feeling good. Um... The podcast will be up on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple, anywhere that podcasts are. This whole conversation that we had today will be up there. Um, I'm going to log out from the podcast. Thanks for listening. That's my podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back with another one very soon so <laughs> bye y'all